you to extend your hands out to the Indonesia flag, and we're going to pray together. God, we thank you for the privilege we have to partner with Matt and this ministry. God, Lord, thank you for the 80 students being trained to be church planters and missionaries and teachers and counselors and pastors. Thank you that we can give our money to support this, give our prayers, and send our people. So in the name of Jesus, we pray that you give Muslims in Indonesia visions and dreams of Jesus to bring them to salvation, strengthen the church over there, protect them from things that would hinder the gospel, and uh, strengthen and equip that uh, your good word, your salvation would go to the ends of the earth, even through and in and out of Indonesia. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we give today, uh, virtual offering, <laughs> you put an offering in the boxes as you leave, but those of you online or here can give online, and that's the easiest way to give. Know that for every $10 you give, $1 goes toward world missions, benevolence, and local outreach because we're a tithing church, and this is one of the many ministries that we support. They translated my book, Pastoring with Passion, into the Indonesia language. They use that at the training center. And it's just been an honor and a privilege for us to partner there and just know that you have a part in that. You have a part in that, Living Hope, when you give and when you pray. All right, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Once again, <laughs> I feel like a broken record. Once again, we are at a place in our study of Romans that is so incredibly applicable to the day in which we live. So much disagreement, division, and disunity going on in the world today and even in the church. Talked to a number of people older than me, I'm 59, that have said never in their life have they seen so much disunity, division, disagreement, and demonic activity as they do see today. Now, beloved, this is not a new problem. The very first family on planet earth, Cain killed his brother Abel, hello, <laughs> Jesus' disciples were frequently arguing about who is the greatest, who is the favored one, Paul and Barnabas couldn't agree on what to do with John Mark and they parted ways, the church at Corinth had division that Paul had to address in two books of the New Testament, the church at Galatia couldn't agree on what role the law had. The Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, they couldn't agree or debated about what Gentile believers were responsible for concerning the Old Testament, and on and on and on it goes. And in Romans, the issue was food and days, diet and days. Some believe that if you ate meat sacrificed to an idol, so you take this pig or this cow and you sacrifice it to a false god, what about the meat that was left with that dead animal? Was it okay to eat? Would you somehow be stained by eating a, a big juicy T-bone steak from that cow that was sacrificed to a baal? Some believers thought it was wrong to eat that meat. Other believers said, no, it's nothing. It's just meat. Come on. It's, it's not going to stain you spiritually. It's about the heart. And then some believers thought that certain days of the week, because the Jews worshiped on Saturday... Jesus was raised on Sunday, so many Christians were beginning to worship on Sunday. They changed the day, and some 
Some believers in the first century felt like, no, it's the Sabbath day, it's Saturday. You have a whole denomination today called the Seventh-day Adventists that believe if you don't worship on Saturday, you're a terrible Christian. Nothing's new under the sun, is it? So diet and days were the issue of that day. We struggle with political division, (laughs) views on the mask, (laughs) of BLM, uh, theological issues, Calvinism, Arminianism, cessationism, end times, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and on and on and on, things that divide us. We have whole denominations have been formed because of differences on some of the minutest of things. You have conservative Baptist, liberal Baptist, Reformed Baptist, and on and on it goes. <laughs> so it's kind of relevant what we look at today. The issues may be different, but the principles are the same. And I pray with all my heart that God would use this message at Living Hope Church because I believe we have a beautiful unity here, a unity of the Spirit. I believe God has done a special work in just the seven years that we've been in existence at helping us stay focused on the main things, Keep the main thing the main thing, not let minors divide us. And so for the most part, I'm, I'm pleased to preach this to just keep going what we're already seeing happen, praise God. Praise God I'm not having to preach this as a reaction to division, but be warned, church, the enemy is alive and well. And Satan will do everything he can to hinder the good things that are happening here. Does Satan want ministries like this in Indonesia to continue? No. Does he want Living Hope to be able to to tithe not just 10%, but 15, 20%? That would be my desire. We increase our tithe. We give more to missions. How could God not bless that? Does Does Satan want that to happen? No. So the good that happens here is not just about us and here. It's about how the nations could be impacted for the glory of Jesus. So it's, 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 it's encouraging, it's relaxing to, to preach this. For the most part, just say, let's just keep doing the good things that, that, that God is doing here and, and let's preserve this and, and let's beware of how things can come in to divide us and, and especially with what we're seeing today in our country. Listen to a Chuck Smith. I'm, a, I'm an old Chuck Smith fan, man. Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel, they're awesome. Chuck Smith, I was listening to Chuck's. If you have the Blue Letter Bible and you tap on any verse in the entire Bible and you go to the video audio and you listen, there's about seven pastors that there's an option to listen to their sermon on that. And always at the very top, Chuck Smith, because he preached Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. And Chuck Smith, in his sermon on Romans 14, said that he was taught all his life you could not go to heaven if you smoked cigarettes. He said he was taught that all his life. That if you smoke cigarettes, you could not go to heaven. And so, you know, there's, there's just different issues that people tend to go to today. What are you laughing about? It's like the guy that, you know, well, you might get to heaven, but you'll smell like hell. <laughs> <laughs> Romans 14, let's stand as we read God's Word. First service didn't get that one. So you guys, you got, you got something first service didn't get. <laughs> All right, go ahead and get it out, get it out. All right, Romans 14, I'm reading from the ESV. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. 
Woo! Stop right there, couldn't we? NIV says disputable matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Mm. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Say with me, the Lord's able to make me stand. That's good news. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Say with me, fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Say, live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died. Okay, here's what our worship was built on today. Here's the centrality of the gospel. Here's what should unite us. Circle, underline, bold, verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. There it is, beloved. That's the bullseye. His death, his resurrection that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. Woo! For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Hallelujah. And every tongue shall confess to God. It's also quoted in Philippians 2. So then, each of us, will give an account of himself to God. God, we ask now that you'd anoint your word. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. Pray through this message. Anybody who's saved will be saved. Those who need healing will be healed. Those who are demonized will be delivered. All believers will be strengthened. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For your glory, amen. You may be seated. All right, let me just say a few introductory and foundational things before I present the actual points from this passage, okay? So we're going to lay a foundation, three important points, and then we'll get to the seven points from this very text. Number one, God wants unity. When Jesus prayed in John 17, he prayed that we would be one, that we would be one, that we would be one. In John 13, Jesus said, this is how they'll know you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. God, as our Father, as eternal heavenly daddy wants his family to be in unity as a father of four grandfather of two i want my children to be in unity i don't expect them to agree on everything they don't even have to all be georgia fans i will not disown them for that they don't have to even agree with me politically my dad and i have a lot of differences politically if you watch my devotion on that you'll see but he wants us to be united in him if you're a believer, we have the same Father, same Savior, same Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, and we're going to spend eternity together. So it, it would do us well to learn how to get along here to prepare us for there. <laughs> God wants unity. In Ephesians 4, it says, Be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
Be diligent, Ephesians 4, to maintain. Notice it says maintain the unity, not try to get unity. We're already unified. We maintain what we already have. We don't try to get what we don't have. You may be a hand, toe, ear. I may be a leg, ankle, knee. We're all a part of the body of Christ. We need to remember that. And that's why one of our themes here came from St. Augustine. By the way, St. Augustine was saved through Romans 13. He was living a very sexually immoral life, and it was Romans 13, I forgot to mention this last week, through this, the passage in Romans 13 about sexual immorality that he got convicted and radically saved. And he's the one that coined this term, unity in the essentials, diversity in the non-essentials, love in all things. See, that sounds real good, Pastor David. What do you mean by that? Well, an essential is that what, which has to do with something regarding salvation in Jesus Christ. The Apostles' Creed. That's what unites us, what we sang about today. The death, the resurrection, the ascension, the blood atonement, the Trinity, Jesus Christ. That's what unites us. We can differ on end times. We can differ on what translation of the Bible you use. We can differ on your view of BLM. We can differ on Democrat, Republican. We can differ on all of that and still be united if you're saved in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen? And we've got to remember this. Lest we let the non-essentials divide us. If you let a non-essential bring division, then you're playing into the enemy's hands. If you let a non-essential bring division between you and another believer, you are playing into the enemy's hands. We must focus on Jesus, focus on the gospel, focus on what is most true. And let those other things be less important. And we'll talk about there's a place for dialogue on those things, okay? So hold that thought. A good example is compare the way Paul addressed these issues in Romans 14 versus Galatians 1 where they were having people come in and preaching a different gospel. In Galatians 1, there were people coming in preaching a different gospel that you could be saved by obeying the Old Testament law instead of faith in Christ alone. And in that passage, Paul says, let them be accursed if they preach to you a different gospel. Don't have anything to do with them. Get them out, false teachers. That was regarding an essential. But here, diet and days, those are non-essentials. You guys can differ on that and still have unity. Don't let non-essentials divide you. Which is why number two foundational truth, God warns against division. Jonathan Kilgore, who led worship last week, we were talking about this this week, and he said, a unified church is the answer to the world's problems today. A unified church is the answer to the world's problems today. I want Living Hope Church to be a little taste of heaven. I want Living Hope Church to be a little taste of heaven in our unity, in our passion, in our love for Jesus, in our and our commitment to the things that matter to God in our diversity and in our unity. And this is why God warns against division. God is not very favorable toward those who cause division. Romans 16, 17, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division. Keep away from them. 1 Corinthians 1, 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another on the essentials, that there may be no division among you, so you see God's heart here, don't you? His heart for unity, his concern about disunity. In Titus 3, if you've been in the Titus study on Wednesday nights, 
Titus 3 says, warn a divisive person twice and then have nothing to do with them. Because what happens is, when you have a person who causes disunity, and this is why elders, elders are to preserve the unity, protect the doctrine, and if necessary, do church discipline. It's not very popular today, but it's still in the Bible. <laughs> and, and, and there's certain things that they, the Bible says are warrants church discipline. Sexual immorality. So morality, when a person is living an immoral and godly life, you, you confront in love and you call them to repentance. And if they don't repent, there comes a time when you remove them from your fellowship. We've only had to remove one person from membership here, and it was a man who was... Uh, unfaithful to his wife, repeatedly had affairs, we confronted in love, did the one, two, three, and then eventually we said, you are removed from membership because he refused to repent. Another cause for church or for, for uh, dis church discipline is a divisive person. They come in and they either try to spread bad doctrine or they try to get people toward a cause that just isn't really what you need to be about. A so if somebody came in, here, I guess a good, if somebody came into this church and, and demanded that everybody have a certain political position and vote a certain way, and they started spreading this in the church and handing out pamphlets to everybody, well, we would address that <laughs> in love. That's, that's just not, we're not going to allow that here. That, that's not what we're about. It, is that important to discuss at, at Jittery Joe's and so forth? Absolutely. Have at it as long as you are in love. You know, but, but here, you're not going to bring that in here. It's just going to spread, and it's going to not be healthy. And that's what these verses are talking about. That if, if, you, if necessary, you remove that person from the fellowship because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Number three, God warns against quarreling because quarreling is the start of division, and division leads to disunity. So this is all kind of a, we're stepping back. Number three, God warns against quarreling. Again, Please understand me. There is a place for healthy dialogue, discussion, going back and forth. My dad and I have had many, many conversations <laughs> about political issues. And I understand where he's coming from more, and that's been healthy. We do not let it divide us. We keep our focus on Jesus and the gospel but we still have these discussions, you see? So we keep the main thing the main thing. We also discuss this stuff because it sharpens each other if it's done in love. If it's not done in love, if it's a quarrelsome, divisive, I'm right, you're wrong, if you don't agree with me, you're a terrible Christian, that is not healthy. That is not healthy. And in Proverbs 13.10, pride only breeds quarrels. So a person who's prideful, they think it's their way or the highway. If you don't agree with them, you're wrong on every issue. That breeds quarrels. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. So be humble, be teachable, be receptive to somebody saying something to you that you don't agree with. We all are growing. I have convictions now I didn't have 10 years ago, and I'll probably have different convictions 20 years from now. We're all in process. And so... We need to have discussions in a healthy way. 2 Timothy 2.23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was always taught you don't use the word stupid. This is the NIV, okay? So the, the literal Greek word is, is, is ignorant. It's ignorant arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Titus 3.9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Wait, wait, wait. The law's important. That's the word of God. Yes, it is. 
But if it, if, it, if it comes into and becomes the main thing and you start saying, you're, good, you're only a good Christian if you obey all the laws of the Old Testament, you know, and you just get legalistic about it, he's saying, no, that is not healthy. It's not profitable. All right, so these are three foundational truths. Got it? We good? Any questions? All right, now let's go to seven principles from this passage that I believe will help us enormously when it comes to when Christians can agree. Number one, first of all, you accept the person. The ESV uses the word welcome. The NIV says accept. In verse one, it says welcome the person or accept the person. Then in verse three, it says you do this because what? God has accepted them. This is so important, guys. Get it. You got to get this. It's similar to what we looked at last week. You accept the person because they're valuable in the sight of God, even if you disagree about certain issues. You even accept the person. Accepting the person doesn't mean you accept their lifestyle. doesn't mean you accept their morals. doesn't mean you accept their beliefs. But God, has, has, God not, has God not welcomed us even when we were wayward? Yes, he did. He welcomed us right where we were at, despite all of our junk, and it was his love and his welcoming us that won our hearts to him to where now he can work on the behavior. But if we expect a person to change and agree with us on everything before we love and accept them, we're going to forfeit the ability to have influence on them. God has unconditionally loved us. Now, you're only accepted as his child if you come to faith in Christ, but this works for unbelievers and believers. For believers, this is even more powerful because if God could accept you and make you part of his church and and redeem you and forgive you, then you're my brother or sister in Christ. So I should really accept you because we're in the same family. But even the unbeliever, even the person that is radically like atheist, anti-Christianity, they believe in everything that we would say is sinful, I can still love them and accept them. Not that I accept them as if they're a Christian or a child of God, but I accept them as a human being, you see? Because God loves them, and that is what's going to win them over, is love, not trying to convince them to change their view, especially before they're even saved. Am I clear? So we accept people where they're at because God does, and God loves them, and God sees their heart, and we need to look beyond these differences. Here's the deal. If, oh, this is good. If if the first thing I think of, I'll use my dad because y'all know how much we love each other, so this is a perfect example. If, if every time I, I look at my dad, I, I think about our political differences, how's that going to be for the relationship? <laughs> Probably not good, is it? Yeah, I can't believe that he votes that way. I can't believe that he doesn't value life more to vote this way. You know, Let's just take abortion. If, if abortion is really important to me, and it is, I mean, and, and, and I say... And I say, man, you can't be a good Christian and vote this way because they're not, they don't value life because they're for pro-choice. And every time I see that person, I think, oh, there's that, and I name that political thing. That's not going to help promote unity. Again, if we got a relationship where we can healthily talk about it and go back and forth, that's, that's constructive. But if I view that person through the lens of their position instead of their personhood, then all it does is create more disunity. 
I've got to look beyond the position and see the person. And that's number one, accept the person. Number two, don't judge. All right, now we're going to talk about this. Y'all better listen carefully because this is probably the most misunderstood biblical principle. Would you agree, Rich? (laughs) You know, somebody's living an obviously sinful, immoral life, and if you even remotely suggest that that is against the will of God, what do you get? Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. That's what you get. Okay? That is not understanding biblical judgment correctly. But we are going to talk about what it means to not judge in a biblical way. Because the Bible actually says both. And this is where you get people going, hey, look, right here. Contradiction. 1 Corinthians 5.12. Judge people. It says, 1 Corinthians 5.12. You can look it up. It says, judge people in the church. And that's in the context of clear, immoral, sinful lifestyle. Calling sin, sin is not judging. Actually, it is, but it's judging correctly. Because judge just means to discern between to call something right or wrong. So we are to judge in calling sin, sin, in love. We are not to judge in something that's a gray area. It's not crystal clear, and especially when it relates to the heart of the person. Okay? So improper judging, here's my definition. Improper judging is assuming a negative about another person when I don't know for a fact that it's true. Like my definition of love, this will almost pass every test you can put it through. Improper judging. Scotty, why are you late, brother? I'm just kidding you. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. I got to give you a hard time. Right here, online, man. I mean, it's online. Everybody's seeing it. I love you, dude. (laughs) My old high school buddy right here. Good to have you. Improper judging is assuming a negative about another when I don't know for a fact it's true. Listen closely. If I say, because he doesn't dress up for church, he doesn't respect God, that's judging. I don't know their heart. If I say, if they vote Democratic, they don't value life because of the abortion issue, that would be improperly judging. I don't know their heart. If I say, because he drives a brand new truck, he's materialistic. That's judging. If I say, oh, if you wear a mask, you're walking in fear. That's judging. I don't know your motive. But if I say... Because he's living with his girlfriend and having sex, he needs to repent of sexual immorality. That's not judging in the way we're not to judge. That is judging properly. Am I clear? So we are to judge those in the church, and 1 Corinthians 5.12 makes that distinction. It says, don't judge outsiders. You can't expect them to live like a believer. They're not, they don't have the motivation to live like a believer. Why would you expect an unbeliever to live like a believer? You are to judge those in the church in the sense that if there's sin in the camp, if there's obvious immorality, then it's, it's not judging in the improper sense to call that sin. You still do it in love. You still call them to repentance. You still seek to restore the person and drive them to the cross. You don't come with shame and condemnation and you're a horrible, rotten sinner and you're going to hell because you slept with... No! But we are to properly discern morality and believers not that we're the fruit inspector and we go around you know on a witch hunt not at all but there is a sense in which we're to live holy lives for the glory of God what he says we are not to judge in this context those of you who have a personal conviction that it's wrong to eat meat 
sacrifice to an idol. Okay? Don't look at the guy who doesn't think there's anything wrong with eating that meat and say, you're a terrible Christian because you eat that meat. Oh, you're a terrible Christian. You don't value the Word of God because you are having a T-bone steak from that cow that was sacrificed to Baal. In the same way, the guy who feels freedom to eat that meat, because we have different convictions on this, the guy who has freedom to eat that meat is not to look down at this person and say, you're such a legalistic Christian. Don't you know the freedom we have in Jesus? See, it'd be similar to the, to the drinking issue. Is drunkenness sin and should be judged properly? Yes. Is having a beer a sin? No. Jesus turned water to wine, not wine to water, last I checked. So the guy who feels a conviction not to drink should not look at the one who does have a beer and say, terrible Christian, they can't be saved, they're drinking a beer. Drunkenness, whole number of issues. The guy who feels free to drink a beer should not look at that guy and say, again, you're such a legalistic Christian, don't you know the freedom we have in Christ? Now, don't miss next week, because next week, second half of Romans 14, he's going to address the issue of just because you might have the freedom to have a beer and you're not convicted of that, again, drunkenness, whole other issue, doesn't mean that you should drink anywhere, everywhere, and around everybody, because Romans, the last half of Romans 14 talks about you need to also consider how your actions affect others. Don't do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So you may feel a total freedom in Christ to have a Bud Light, but doing it around somebody who struggles with alcoholism or doing it downtown where somebody might see you and assume the worst, not that we, I mean, you know, I know that gets a little picky, but anyway, we, our reputation, our example before others is important. You see, what you do in, 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 in license, another could do in excess, so you, gotta, you, you have to look at all those issues, and that's next week. That's the second half of Romans 14. Isn't it amazing how complete God's Word is? Number three, be patient with the person you disagree with because we're all in process. We're all at different places in our maturity. In verse 1, when he says the weaker in faith, it's not like he's creating some spiritual hierarchy. <laughs> But, but, but in this case, my conclusion, this is my opinion, is that there was nothing wrong with eating meat sacrificed to an idol. When Peter had the vision of, 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 that was related to the Gentiles, that was also about food, that all food is clean now. So I believe if you're going to be technical, the guy who felt it was wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols probably wasn't understanding the, the liberty that we have as fully as he should have. That's why he's called the weak in faith. He's less mature. But that doesn't mean we treat him as if he's an inferior Christian. We are patient, realizing everybody's on a different journey. Everybody's in a different process. The things that you believe now might not be the things you believed 10 years ago. Why? Because you've grown, you've gotten deeper in the Word, you've had healthy discussions with others, and you went, wow, maybe I was wrong on that issue. You know, and so, and, and that's healthy. That's, that's the process of sanctification that we should all be going through. In 1 John 2, this is what we build our whole transformational discipleship modules on. This. He says, I write to you children. I write to you young men. I write to you, fathers. The child, they eat, they drink milk. They're not ready for meat. They're, they're newly saved, and they're just pretty, you know, they're immature. Give them space. They're a new believer. Don't expect them to have the maturity of somebody who's walked with God for 40 years when they just got saved. So that's where this patience comes in. I tell you what, I'm not where I used to be. Praise God, I'm not where I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm not where I used to be. Praise God, I'm not where I'm going to be. 
God keeps growing me, and I, I sure want him to. All right, number four, entrust the person to God. That person you disagree with, that person you have been trying to get to convince to be this political position. <laughs> hey, how about release them to God? Verse four, I love the NIV here. It says, to his own master, he stands or falls and stand he will for the Lord is able to make him stand. Ooh, that'll preach. Stand or fall, the Lord is able to make him stand. Entrust that person to God. Who's the ultimate one and the only one who can ultimately change a heart? God. So quit playing the Holy Spirit. God doesn't need another Holy Spirit on the throne. <laughs> one is enough. And those of you married, I'm preaching to myself. Those of you married, you don't need to play the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life. You know, leaving tracks around the house or, or verses on the mirror that say what you want them to learn and grow. How about getting on your knees and praying to God to change their heart, but more than that, change your heart. Because sometimes he won't change their heart till he changes your heart. Sometimes he doesn't change our spouse till he gets us right. And we learn to love like we should. Then he starts working on them. It's a strange thing that happens. <laughs> oh, boy, this is good. Trust the person to God. It's not my job to play the Holy Spirit. Number five. Develop your own convictions. Verses 5 through 8, he says, be fully convinced in your own mind. That's good, isn't it? Study, talk, develop your own convictions. Where you're unsure, study, pray, talk, wrestle. Get in the Word, read other books, read positions that are on the other side of the, of the argument. You know, I love what Ravi Zacharias used to say. He says, when you are debating somebody or when you're trying to convince somebody of your view versus theirs, and he's talking primarily about like a Christian worldview versus a non-Christian worldview, he says you don't attack the weakest argument in the other person. Make sure you understand their best argument. You don't just go after their weak points. And this is why he was such a good apologist, because he understood the best arguments of the Muslim faith, the best arguments of a person that held a view different than his. And he was able to go and he was able to show how their best arguments were fallacious at certain points. And so you, 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 you develop your own convictions, iron sharpening iron, be fully convinced in your own mind. And so if this guy believes that eat, eating meat sacrificed to idols is wrong, if i got a relationship healthy enough, we can have a good dialogue and I can share with him how the vision that Peter had in Acts means that all foods are declared clean and it's just food, dude. It's, it's not like that, that meat is inherently evil just because the cow was sacrificed to a demon. God's bigger than that. God's conquered Satan. He's defeated Satan. And so, But at the end of the day, if he still holds his view, man, I'm going to just say, okay, that's between you and the Lord. It's not going to divide us. We both love Jesus. And, and, and this has helped me because now I'm more convinced or I, I, my, my views have, have sharpened or maybe my views have weakened. Maybe I go, wow, you know, I never thought about that. I can see your point. I can see why having been raised African-American and, and as we've talked and I've heard what you go through every day. And I, I watched that, that, that podcast this week, um, um, uh, Difficult Conversations with a Black Man. Is that the name of it? It's Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. There's these little 10-minute things. Man, it was really good. And he talked about, he says, when I'm on an elevator, 
and there's a white woman on the elevator. He goes, I always make sure I get off the elevator really fast. I'm like, what? Yeah, because I don't, I don't want her to feel uncomfortable because I'm behind her. I'm like, that's something I don't ever have to think about. I don't ever have to think about that. That would never cross my mind. But that's what, what, that's what he experienced. So hearing that, I, I just grew a little. I grew a little in my understanding. That's good. I need to, I need to see that. I need to, I need to realize what it's like for, for, a, for, a, for an international student to come to this country and be from a country that's maybe done something weird to America and maybe they're looked at suspiciously because they feel so many Americans judge them because of what their country did however many years ago. I mean, there's Chinese students right now in America that, that feel threatened, don't they? You guys work with them more than I do because they feel like we're going to hold them responsible for the virus. And they, you know, so, so I don't know what that's like. So that's healthy for me to kind of get in their shoes. You know, what's that old phrase? Don't criticize a man until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. Number six, focus on your own walk. <laughs> Eight times the word Lord is used here. <laughs> the Lordship of Jesus. It, it's all about relationship with Jesus, right? So let that be your focus, your own relationship with Jesus. I, I love what Warren Wiersbe says about Romans 14. Listen to this. He says, people who are busy loving God and growing in Jesus and serving the kingdom have more important things to do than investigate the lives of the saints. <laughs> People who are busy loving God, growing in Jesus, and serving the kingdom have more important things to do than investigate the lives of others and judging them and trying to change them and convince everybody of their way. I love the story in John 21. Okay, this is good. Peter is being uh, challenged by Jesus. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. And then he said, Peter, for a season in your life, you were able to go and do as you wish. But there's going to come a time when one is going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. And it says of this, he prophesied about the way Peter would die, a martyr's death, crucified upside down. Well, that's kind of a sobering thing to hear from Jesus. <laughs> and so what, what does he do immediately? He says, uh, how about John? What about him? See, he wanted to defer the attention. He didn't like what he was being told about his own life, his own walk, and what was going to come for him. So he said, what about him? And I love what Jesus said. He says, what I do with him is up to me. What is that to you? You follow me. Woo! What I do with him is up to me. You follow me. And I think sometimes we need to hear that from the Lord. What I do with the Democrats, that's up to me. You follow me. What I do with the Republicans, that's up to me. You follow me. What I do with Trump, that's up to me. You follow me. What I do with BLM, that's up to me. You follow me. What I do with that other Christian group that you think's wall whacked out, that's up to me. You follow me. It's kind of like, uh, whoo. <laughs> David, you're only responsible for your personal relationship with me. Again, this doesn't mean we don't have conversations. This doesn't mean there's not a place for dialogue. There is. But at the end of the day, you follow Jesus. I need to follow Jesus. Final point, prepare for judgment. Verses 9 to 12, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? For you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Whew. 
eternal perspective. What's going to last? What's eternal? What's the most important? Eternal perspective has been the biggest game changer in my entire Christian life. It's eternal perspective that led me to choose the vocation I chose. It's eternal perspective that has a huge impact on the way I spend my money and my priorities and my time. Eternal perspective. What's going to last? What's going to be written on my tombstone? What's going to be remembered five years after I die, 50 years after I die, 500 years after I die? What impact is my life having on eternity? Lives are but a mist, a vapor, a shadow. Here today, gone tomorrow. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. God judges. God discerns between right and wrong. God calls sin, sin. God says everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will spend eternity separated from Him. God says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. God says I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. God says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God declares truth from error, right from wrong, and yet he still loved. It's amazing. Then he quotes an Old Testament passage. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Now, beloved, some will bow in realizing they were wrong. We bow now because we realize he is right. But every knee will bow. Even those who spend eternity separated from God will one day bow. Atheists will bow. Those who reject Jesus will bow. Unfortunately, it'll be too late. Bow before it's too late. Surrender while you still have breath. Confess while you still have opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. And every tongue shall confess to God. This is also quoted in Philippians 2. So then, each of us. Does that exclude anybody? Can anybody get off that verse? Each of us will give an account of himself to God. One of the most sobering verses in all the Bible. If you've received Jesus, you have already passed the judgment of God because your judgment was placed on Jesus and you've accepted that, you, you are promised eternal life. Christians will be judged, but not for their sin, for their good works, for the purpose of rewards. Not for punishment, that was put on Jesus. If you're in Christ today, you have already passed judgment for your sin because Christ bore your judgment for you and you have eternal life. That's why he can promise when you die, you have eternal life. Amen? For the unbeliever, their judgment will be for their sin, and they will be separated from God for all of eternity. Now, what have I taught you guys about what to do when you come to a New Testament verse that quotes an Old Testament passage? Have you guys not listened in the last month? I have said this almost every Sunday when Romans has quoted an Old Testament. When, an old, when a New Testament passage quotes an Old Testament verse, how do you, what do you do to get the hidden manna? 
Thank you. You go to the Old Testament passage. What does he quote here? Isaiah 45. Let's go there as we conclude. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45 is the passage that is quoted here, and it's important to go to it. When you go to the passage that's quoted, you receive the hidden manna, the bread from heaven. And remember, Jesus said in Luke 24, 44, everything written in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms was about who? Him. <laughs> You're going to see Jesus in Isaiah 45. This is awesome. We're about to be done. Don't miss this. Isaiah 45, 21, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together who told this long ago, who declared it of old. Was it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me? <laughs> a righteous God and a Savior. Here's Jesus in the Old Testament. Here's Jesus in Isaiah 700 B.C. A righteous God, that's the Father, and a Savior, that's the Son. And there's none besides me. Turn to me and be saved. This is about salvation in Jesus. <laughs> this is what it means to bow your knee and confess with your mouth. This is the judgment you need to make sure you've got taken care of. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. This is a universal gospel. This is for all people, every tribe, nation, tongue, people. Only way to be saved through Jesus. Every creature on earth. This is the way to be saved. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness. A word that shall not return. And here it is. To me, every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. Only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. Only in Jesus. It shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. Only the blood of Jesus can make you righteous. Only the blood atonement of Jesus can make you righteous. Only the death and resurrection of Jesus can make you righteous before a holy God. To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. So if you're incensed against him, if you reject his offer, you will come to shame. But for those of us who've received Jesus, Christ bore our shame, bore our sin, bore the judgment of God so that we could be forgiven, made righteous, accepted holy in Christ, and saved and given eternal life. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. The context of Isaiah 45 is salvation by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you today for your good word. Lord, I pray that you will keep us united. That you will give us a spirit of love. That you will make Living Hope Church a place where your glory dwells. Where we show a little of heaven on earth. Ask the Lord now what he most wants you to take away from this message. Accept the person. Don't judge improperly. Be patient. 
entrust that person to God. Develop your own convictions. Focus on your own walk and relationship with Jesus. Make sure that you're ready to meet God by preparing for judgment. Listen carefully to this word from somebody on our prayer team. I believe it's really, really from the Lord. Receive this. My children, one of Satan's favorite tricks is offense. He can get people offended at others. His dirty tricks will multiply such that people will be drawn into the cesspool of offense believing people are intentionally trying to hurt one another. Of course, Satan's minions will do all they can to foster this type of thinking and action, but you are to resist him and he will flee. But you, my people, my children, are to avoid offense. Don't react to offensive statements and actions by joining the chaos. Let it go. I say again, let it go. Pray for those who are acting out of fleshly desires. Bring them to me in prayer and honest supplication. I will deal with them. And in the process of releasing them to me, you'll find yourself growing peaceful and calm. Remember, the peace I give you, the world wants, but cannot find it or receive it. But it is your heritage. Don't let insignificant issues become major issues by becoming offended. Set aside your own desires and place others' wants and needs ahead of your own. There will be areas of honest disagreements, but don't give Satan any foothold in your life by becoming offended or angry over others and their actions. This is not my way. My way is peaceful and specifically directed towards helping others see me in your actions. Measure your actions to offense by measuring your response to me and my word. And remember this, love never fails. Oh Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your word and your spirit. And I entrust, Lord, this message to you that you would apply it in our lives as you see fit. God, if I have said anything or said in a way that didn't honor you, just scratch it from our minds. God, I pray that Living Hope Church will increasingly be a church that is in line with your will, in line with your spirit, in line with your heart. And God, I pray John 13. I pray they will know we are Christians.